this is your word. <coughs> These are your people. <coughs> Both of that are more valuable than me. I'm the messenger. I'm the mouthpiece. Make it happen, Lord, this morning. Let your people come face to face with your word and let your spirit interpret and uh, communicate to the heart, to the deepest part of us that where we make our life decisions, where the ego is either thrashed or is glorified. Reach us at our most deepest place and fix us there, Lord. Heal us there. Strengthen us there. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The Gospel of Mark, why? Why are we doing that? Why are we studying the Gospel of Mark? Well, we want to know the stories. We want to know all the stories. We want to know the stories in sequence. We want to know the details of the stories. And many of us have been around in church for a long time, but we don't necessarily know all the stories. And, um, and like this, if people are missing, then they're going to miss those stories. We want to go through the gospel to collect and be sure. The purposes, the parables, the prophecies, we want to know the gospels very, very well. It's all about Jesus. The gospels are about Christ, so we want to know that. We want to walk around with Jesus with an iPhone like paparazzi, and we want to take notes, we want to take pictures, we want to Instagram Christ, and we want to make him known. Quick, revision from last time. This was two weeks ago, so we need to go back a little bit. Last time, there was the introduction in the, in the Gospels, the introduction of the demonic presence and a very strong demonic disturbance because Christ was there. Christ was around. So there was a strong disturbance. And every time they showed up, they were like, you're here. What are you doing here? What have you come here to do? And Jesus would be, you keep quiet. And he cast them out. So there was the disturbance. There was the dis, dis, dis disapproval or, or removal of the demonic presence and then there was the gospel and the shining of the light and the deliverance from bondage. So you found that happening last week, last time when we did. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked them saying, be silent, come out. Then we also talked about the partnership between the Son and the Father in prayer. Arising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed. He went to a quiet place to be with his Father and prayed. Because they were a, they were a band. They were, they, were, they were together. The Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son. Three all working in tandem. There was, they, there was absolute oneness in their will and volition. Then... Uh, Jesus was not interested in being a miracle worker. He was more interested in the mission. We talked about that last time. Uh, he said, let us go on to the next towns that, are, that I may preach there also. I'm not here to just do miracles. I'm here to preach. Proclamation is the shining of the light of the gospel of Jesus. And when you shine the light, darkness is dispelled. What is in the dark is exposed. It is then dealt with and forgiveness is meted out. He went through all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Preaching, casting out, preaching, casting out, preaching. He was coming to take ground. And I told you that that's what Mark was all about. So now we're in verse, verses 1 to 12 of chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. If somebody next to you is falling asleep, let them be. It's probably the only sleep they got all week. <laughs> uh, there's some free seats here also. So like the aeroplane, you can maybe even come and lie down. And when he returned from Capernaum, chapter 2, verse 1. And when he returned from Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was home. And when he returned to Capernaum, excuse me, it was reported that he was home. Remember that I told you he set up his base, his headquarters, his office in Capernaum. He, that, that became the place from where Jesus was sending out disciples. He was working. And that was his home as well. So now this situation, this, this event is in Jesus' address. It's in his home. 
He's at home with his family and his front room and his drawing dining is just packed with people and his door is jammed with people and people are peering in through the windows and stuff like that. So this happened at Jesus' home. That's what I'd like to think anyway. And he was preaching and teaching at his home. Bit of lesson on how to use our homes, right? How to use our homes for the gospel, how to use our homes for fellowship. Number two, verse two, and many, circle many, many were gathered together. Uh, in the Greek, it's more like many began. There was a growing number that was coming to listen to what he had to say. Now, they came for healing. That crowd was there. That audience was there. That clientele was there. But they also, there was a crowd that was gathering to understand what he was saying because he was a new rabbi with a new authority and a new message. A new rabbi with a new authority and a new message. Hence the New Testament. So, they were interested. What is this guy saying? He speaks like no one else. He has authority like no one else. He says it like as if it's his own words. Who could he possibly be? So many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. So there's no way in, no way out. It's jam-packed. And he was preaching the word. Underline. He was preaching the word. No miracles here. No miracles here. Jesus is teaching the word. Basically, he was speaking for himself. Because every word that comes out of Jesus' mouth is the word. He is the word. So he was preaching and teaching and people were just, just growing from the greatest Bible teacher ever, God himself. And they were sitting there and listening to him. Everyone rapt attention, focused on what was happening. Little did they, they begin to feel suddenly there was some rain from up above. There was rain of dust and crumble, uh, crumbling rooftop. And suddenly you don't know what happened. There's no storm. There's no rain. What's going on? And there's a rumble on the roof. And, and there was dust particles. And somebody was like, took, 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 took. We don't know what is going on. But they didn't bother. Dust is falling all over their heads and faces. And they were just rapt attention uh, uh, listening to Jesus. And he was preaching the word to them because it's the gospel that gives life. He is the living word. He, that's, this is the living text. He's the living text. So let me tell you the story. And as he was doing this, and the crowds were full, the house was full, the door was uh, jammed, packed, people couldn't come in, there was people standing outside trying to listen into what he was saying, there was a rumble on the roof, and we began to see a hole, suddenly a, 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 a ray of light come through, and that ray got bigger and wider, and the, the hole in the roof got bigger, and if it was my house, and if I was preaching, I'd be, who's going to pay for this? What is going on here? Jesus already knew what was going on. He knew the script. The hole got bigger and bigger until you saw four heads peeping in. And four heads are like, hello, Jesus. How are you doing? We have a guy for you. We have this fellow. He never comes to small group. He never comes to small group. And he keeps giving us this excuse that he is paralyzed. So we thought we'd just bring him straight to you. So if you could fix his paralysis, we could have a nice, a small group, a complete small group. So these four men, we don't know who they were. It doesn't say that they were his friends, although every pastor in the world has turned it into his four spiritual friends. Even I've named the message that, because why not? Four guys who came out of nowhere, because many were coming to Christ, they brought a paralytic with him. It, it occurred to me as I read the story that, you know, at the end of the story, they got nothing. What did they get? Did they get a message? Did they get healing? Did they get paid for this? They got nothing. All they got was a healed paralytic. And even he took off and went home. 
if you remember the story. So anyway, four heads bob in, and they are like, hello, sorry about the inter inter uh, interruption. We have a guy here, and they let him down through the roof. The four of them let him down. This man is paralyzed. Paralyticos, paralyzed. Paralysis, one side, just maybe his leg, he wasn't able to walk. Paralysis takes the strength and the muscle out of one side of your body and you are not able to walk. Paralysis robs you of the ability to walk. Carried by four men, they come in. And when they could not get near him, they, uh, because of the crowd, they removed the roof. There was Jesus' home and they made an opening and they let down the bed of the paralytic and just put him right there, plop, in front of Jesus. Total interruption to the service, to, uh, total interruption to the teaching. Everything was, everyone was trying to figure out what's going on here. And when Jesus saw their faith, underline it, highlight it, asterisk it, stare at it until the lights come on. Verse 5, and when Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith? The four friends. When Jesus saw their faith. He didn't just hear about it, he saw it. He noted the faith of all of them. All of them. You don't know whose idea it was. We don't know who pushed this idea because there's always one bright guy who pushes the idea and everybody else has to follow along. But he granted faith to all of them. He, he credited faith to all of them. Was the paralytic involved in this? Did he have any faith in this matter? Did he say, take me to Jesus? He looked like he was brought there against his will. I don't want to be let down through a roof. It was the four friends who said, you got to go to Jesus. You've got to go to Jesus. Jesus saw their faith. Faith was in whom? Faith was in Christ. So he saw their faith and he says to them, your sins are forgiven. He saw their faith and he says to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. He saw the faith of the four and he says to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, you need to streamline your story here. You need to. They're the ones with the faith, Jesus. Why are you forgiving him? You get where I'm going with this? They are the ones with the faith. They should be rewarded. Why are you forgiving him? He didn't even want to come here. He was enjoying being paralytic. He was using it as a jolly good excuse for not going to church, not going to small group, not even standing up or serving anybody. He's like paralysis, 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 paralysis. Son, child, your sins plural, are forgiven you. Look up the word forgiven. And that word has within it a cancelling of debt. There's a cancelling of debt. It's not janado. Janado, chordo. It's not that what you did was bad for me, but I'm going to cover you with my grace and mercy. Not that kind of forgiveness. There was a cancelling of debt. There was a cancelling of what is owed. And Jesus cancelled his debt. Sin, son, your sins are forgiven you. Your debt to God, I stand before you right now and I cancel your debt to God. All your life, what you've ever done and what you're ever going to do in this moment, son, I cancel your debt to God. The room got real quiet. The room got real quiet. Before I get to that, 
Faith resulted in forgiveness. Faith resulted in forgiveness. Good deeds don't result in forgiveness. Trying to impress God doesn't result, religion doesn't result in forgiveness. Self-reliance doesn't result in forgiveness. Faith resulted in forgiveness. But it's always the object of faith. Who you are putting your faith in? Who were they putting their faith in? In the Son of God. Faith in the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. The Son of God. What does that mean? It's messed so many people up. Jesus is the son of God. Christians believe that Jesus is the son of God, that God had a son. And the mind that doesn't want to believe will go down the track of a human way of thinking, a dark way of thinking, and, not, and totally miss the point. But if anybody should get it, you should get it. Jesus is the son of God, capital S. This was maintained from his birth. Mary had a baby, but God had a son. Mary had a baby, but God had a son. Jesus was not born the child of God. God and Mary didn't get together and have a child. Like we say, oh, they've had a baby. A son was born, for unto us a son is born. Unto us a son is given. So you've got to stop and ask, what is the meaning of son? This was maintained from his birth, from the moment he was a baby, he was called the son of God. And he was born a son. A son carries with it a proprietary understanding. He is the proprietor. He is the one who has the authority of his father. He acts on behalf of his father. He is heir to all that his father owns. He has the nature of his father. He has the lineage of his father. He has... The authority of his father and he has the glory and the success of his father in mind. That is a son. To beget someone is that he comes from me. He is my son. He bears my image. He bears my DNA. And he bears my nature. And he will be the owner of everything that I am. To be the son of God means he came from God. And as in his role here on earth, he acted with the authority, the signet ring, and on behalf of, legally, the God himself. Jesus was acting on behalf of and with all the authority of the Father. So when you say Jesus is the Son of God, God didn't have a child. God came down in the flesh and when he took on flesh, the personage that he was on earth was sonship to God. He was God among us. He was divine all right, but he was son among us. Two reasons, and I'll give that to you soon, why he came as a son. But Jesus was acting on behalf of a son, on behalf of the father. And that is how Jesus is the son. If somebody wants to understand that, explain it to them. Explain sonship to them. Because if the son does not have authority from his father, he cannot take you and adopt you so that you can also be sons of God. So the son came so that you could be sons of God. And you who were alienated from the father can now be brought back. So he has come to bring you back to the father. The son has gone out to bring you back to the father. John 14. He has come to take a bride to himself. 
Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. He has come to take a bride to himself. The son goes out and takes a bride to himself. He has come to restore all things. The father sends the son out to set things in order in his business. A man went out and he planted a vineyard and he gave it over to some hirelings. And, and as he gave it over to some hirelings, he sent uh, a servant and they beat him up and he sent another servant and they beat him up and they sent another servant and they beat him up. Finally, he said to himself, let me send my son because maybe they'll respect my son and they'll take him seriously. So he sent his son and when his son came, the servant said, the hireling said, hey, this is his son. If we kill him, then we'll take the property for ourselves. All that we own, this life, this world can be ours. How foolish they were to think that. So they killed the son and when the father came back, the owner of the property came back. He says, how dare you? First you killed all the prophets and now you even kill my son you will stand to judgment straight toward me and my son is raised from the dead and he will be the judge of the living and the dead you get the connection so the sonship idea has with it propriety authority acting on behalf of power of the signet ring power of attorney as he stood on earth he says all of God right here in me I am the son. And it is that son that these people were placing faith. And it is faith in that son that grants you forgiveness. Because forgiveness is a debt being cancelled. And you can't just cancel a debt with other good works. You can't just cancel a debt with other good works. Jesus is the son of God. And they placed in faith in Jesus as the son of God. Jesus didn't come to start something. Jesus didn't come to start something. Jesus came to finish something that started in the heart of the father. Before time itself swung into motion. To trust Christ, to believe in him is this. That you believe he is the son of God. And that he's come from God. And he's all God. And that he can take you back to God. That is what you believe in when you come to Jesus Christ. So at its very heart is the issue of the deity of Christ. At its very heart is the issue of the deity of Christ. And that is the doctrine that will get kicked at at the foundation in every area of your life. In every area of your life. You can take inspiration from Jesus, the whole world can. You can take motivation from Jesus, the whole world can. But to take instructions from him as Lord, only a believer can. So the deity is at the core of this issue. Verse 6. Now some of the scribes who were sitting there. No scribes came to Jesus' house to listen to him preach. Now some of the scribes were sitting there. And were questioning in their hearts. You got to be God to know what people are thinking. Questioning in their hearts. Verse 7. Two questions. Why does this man. This man. This fella. This man. Speak like this. Okay. He is blaspheming. Okay. Who can forgive sins? But God alone. Now do you disagree with those scribes? No we don't. They are 100% right. Why does this man speak like this? Good question. He is blaspheming. True. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Absolutely. Because all sin is against God. And if anyone is going to cancel the debt paid owed to him, it has to be God himself. God has to cancel the debt. And the only way God is going to cancel the debt, if he has a game plan, if he has a strategy to replace what has been lost. So they were right. It is blasphemy if you were to act on behalf of God to cancel someone's debt. You can't do that. 
all sin is primarily against God and only he, only he has the right to cancel the debt or we call it forgiveness. So verse 8, immediately Jesus jumps in. They're only thinking he jumps in. They didn't ask, no Q&A, he jumps in. Immediately Jesus, perceiving, perceiving. You know that Jesus understands your thoughts. You know that he knows your ways. You know that he knows the questions and the doubts in your mind and heart. And he knows the, the wrestling with, with, with conviction and the wrestling with truth in your life. He knows that. He perceives what's going on. He has an answer to your question even before you have framed the question. Even though before you know you had a doubt, he has an answer to you, to your question, to your faith. Perceiving in his spirit that they thus said, they thus questioned amongst themselves. He said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier? Which is easier? And then he gives two scenarios. To say to the paralytic, number one, your sins are forgiven. Which is easier? To cancel the lifelong debt of the paralytic against God? Or is it easier to say, you're healed in Jesus' name, get up and walk? Is a miracle or a mission? A miracle of forgiveness, which is easier for me to dispel? Which requires authority? Which requires authority? I have a question for you. Why did Jesus forgive first and heal later? Why did Jesus forgive first and heal later? Why couldn't he heal and then say, you know what, let's now talk about forgiveness. You know, now we've looked after you, you've brought you into church, we've taken care of your debt, we've taken care of your problems, you're well, you're, you're on your way to health now, you're all well and you're involved in ministry. You know, now let's talk about forgiveness. Why did Jesus forgive first and heal later? Let me give you two reasons. Verse 10, he says, but that you may know, but that you may know, circle know, that the Son of Man, the title, messianic title for himself, has authority on earth. He has the power of attorney in print, in his hand, the signet ring on his finger, here on earth, in the flesh, in the flesh, he has authority on earth to cancel debt. All debt against God for all time, he has on earth the authority to cancel debt. Why? Because Jesus came to finish what was already started. Because Jesus came to finish the picture of what was done thousands of years ago before the foundations of the earth, the Lamb of God that was slain. He's already given his life for you. He's already paid his debt. And because he paid your debt, he is able to cancel it. Hallelujah! Because he paid your debt, he is able to cancel it. So that you may know that the Son of Man here standing in front of you in flesh and blood, same height pretty much, same color of skin, as weak and feeble as you and I are, has the authority in his veins to cancel your debt for all time and all sin. So why did Jesus forgive first and heal later? Two reasons. Think about this. Write it down if you're taking notes. Number one, the people he was talking to believed that sickness was a punishment for sin. The people he was talking to, the crowd he was dealing with, they believed that all sickness was a punishment for sin. Now, if you believe that poverty is a punishment for sin, that sickness is a punishment for sin, bad luck is a punishment for sin, things not going your way is a punishment for sin, being dark in color is a punishment for sin. If you believe that any of those things let's start with sickness, is a punishment for sin, then the first thing we got to attack is forgiveness to that sin. Because if you remove that sin, you remove that cancer, if you remove that paralysis, 
then now there is scope for strength and there's scope for hope and there's scope for healing. Healing can only come when there's forgiveness if you thought that sickness was a result of sin. So now that sickness is dealt with, what do we do with the sickness? Now that sin is dealt with, what do we do with the sickness? Sickness was believed to be the punishment of sin. So the first thing Jesus did is, your sin is forgiven. Because everybody is thinking, he's paralyzed because he sinned. You remember the other stories? Who sinned? Jesus? Rabbi? Who sinned? Him? Or his parents? And Jesus like, neither. Neither. So sickness was believed to be the punishment for sin. Jesus removes the sin. He addresses the sin factor. The second reason why Jesus forgives first and then heals is because forgiveness precedes healing. Forgiveness precedes healing. You've got to deal with the relationship first and then you deal with the reconciliation. You've got to deal with the relationship first. You've got to come clean. You've got to get right with God first. You want God to this. You want God to that. You want God to give. You want God to serve. You want God to blow, to, to, to blow your mind with all sorts of provision. You want God to provide. You've got to get right with him first. He's not going to negotiate a debt-ridden believer. He's not going to negotiate with a convict. He's not going to negotiate with somebody who owes the law. So when he gives forgiveness, then there is a chance for healing. When people come to church, we want to help. We want to strengthen. We want to, we want to love you. We want to throw our arms around you. We want to cry for you. We want to, we want to be, feel bad for the pain that you've been through. But Christ says, your sins are forgiven you. He didn't ask for it. Sins are forgiven you. He didn't even have the faith for it. The four boys did. But he forgave his sin. It seems as if Jesus is very keen to forgive your sin. Are you keen to be forgiven? Two reasons why forgiveness comes first and then healing. Healing will come, forgiveness comes first. Number one, sickness was believed to be the punishment of sin. Take away the sin, sickness can now be healed. Number two, forgiveness precedes healing. God will deal with the sin factor first and then he will deal with the sickness. God is not so much worried about taking away your pain as he is worried about taking, you, taking away your penalty. So, with the paralysis removed, the cancer removed, the virus removed, strength can now be granted to walk again. To walk again. Brothers and sisters, sin was our paralysis. Someone needed to carry us. Sin was our paralysis. But, say it with me, next one. Salvation is our healing. Sin was our paralysis, but salvation is our healing. His word is what gives us strength to walk again. His word is what gives us strength to walk again. His word, preach, proclamation, living, text, word. His word. So, verse 11, verse 10 and verse 11, he says, he said to the paralytic, that's the word. You get that? That's the word. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and walked, walked home and all this so that they were all amazed and glorified God and we never saw anything like this again. 
the miracle just happened. It, it was just like at the end, it's like the benediction, it just happened. The miracle, that just happened. The miracle is not the main thing. That's not what you do a service for. You do a service for the word, and what follows the word is miracles, Mark chapter 16. What confirms the word is the miracle. Miracles are there, but that's not the main thing. Do we believe in miracles? Yes, we do. But more than anything, we believe the word. Why? Because it comes from the Son of God. Because from the Son of God. So my, my friends, paralysis isn't the problem. Paralysis isn't the problem. It's fellowship. It's fellowship. Because even if you don't have faith, hear me now. Even if you don't have faith, if you're par paralyzed and you don't have faith, You've given up and you're depressed. You're lying in your bed and you don't have motivation to go. If you've got four spiritual friends who knew where Jesus' house is. Constantia Hall. If you have four spiritual friends, we don't have to pick you up. If you have four spiritual friends, they will pick you up against you, will bring you to the house of the Lord. You'll hear the word of the Lord and you will be healed. And you'll go home a different person. Paralysis isn't the problem. It's fellowship. And when you step out of fellowship, paralysis just gets worse. And if you're struggling with faith, you can't remember the last time you were strong in your faith. You can't remember the last time you had a thirst for God or a hunger for God. You can't remember the last time the light burned bright when your prayers felt like they, they reached God instead of bouncing back. If you're struggling with faith, find four friends who will help you to walk again. Are you in a small group? WhatsApp small group. Do you have friends whose faith can carry you when you feel paralyzed? Because you will. Paralysis is a season in life and it comes over and over and over again. Don't feel guilty. Don't doubt your salvation. Paralysis sets in, sets out, sets in, sets out. You just need the friends to bring you to the Savior. Spiritual life was meant to be in community. You're not alone. You are not alone. But let me also challenge those of you who have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Have you placed your trust in Jesus as the Son of God? Not the child of God, the one who has come from God. Yes, he did come from God. And because he has come from God, he's come with the authority to forgive my sin. And he has the credibility to forgive my sin because he's paid my debt. I believe in Jesus Christ. Have you believed in your heart that he is the son of God with the authority to cancel your debt and restore you to the father? Have you pledged your allegiance to the lordship of Christ over your life? If he has paid your debt, you owe him. You owe him. Brother, you owe him. Men, young men, you are soldiers of the cross. You are soldiers of the cross. You're the men of God. Not just godly men, but men of God. Young men, in you God has placed his heart for the church, for the bride. He gives you a bride so that you understand how God feels towards the church. He gives you a bride so that in those moments when she disrespects you, or when she is sick, or when she is hurting, or when she's distant, you feel the heart of God. He gives you a bride so that you will be faithful to her no matter what. And you will understand the faithfulness of God. Young men, in your mind and heart, honor Christ as Lord. And become men of God 
rather the men of the world. I bless you today with the anointing of Christ himself. And I ask that you stand, in, stand up in your head. That you don't be a man looking for a woman. That you don't be a man looking for a career. But you be a man answering a call. And when you have answered the call, all hell can break loose in your face and you'll still be standing. Young men, hear the voice of God. Miracles like that. He'll just like that. But first what you got to hear is, son, son, your sins are forgiven you. You know the most powerful person on earth is the one who doesn't owe anybody anything. And Jesus says to you, I've paid it all. You're debt free. You don't owe anybody anything. Have you pledged your allegiance to his lordship in your life? That's a decision you need to make for yourself. Your eternity is decided by what you do with Jesus. Is he God? Is he your God? Is he your Lord? Take a moment to be quiet. As the music plays, just be quiet and, and say a word of prayer, of repentance, of, or, or, or accept Christ as the Lord of your life. Do it today. Today is the 6th of November. Mark the day as the day you pledged allegiance to the Lamb. Make a, make a decision to pick three or four people who are going to be your spiritual friends. You don't have to like them. And trust me, in church, mostly they're unlikable. But you need to love them and you need them because they know where Jesus' address is. Decide that you're going to make a small group. Join a small group. Be part of it. Oh dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence here this morning, your presence to heal, your presence to forgive, your presence to take care of us. We need you, Father God. We need you deeply in our lives. We need to hear your voice. We need to hear from you. We are so tired of the number of opinions around us. We need instruction. We need light for our path, our next step forward. We need the light of truth. We don't want to be guessing our way forward. Thank you for what we have been able to give to you this morning as our offering, a token of our gratitude to you. Bless us in accordance to our gratitude. Bless us in accordance to our giving. Raise godly men and women to serve in our church, Lord. Raise godly home shepherds to take care of our house churches and our believers there. Give us a witness in this city. Give us godly people to, to lead us into worship every Sunday. Musicians and singers, prayerful people, worshipful people, those whose hearts are filled with worship through the whole week and Sunday is the climax of that worship. Oh God, fill our church with timbrel and, and dancing. 
the sound of cymbals, the sound of joy, the sound of drums, the sound of rejoicing. Let us come rejoicing every Sunday into your presence. Fill this place with your joy. Let us not come for a show, but to show our gratitude and our worship. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each and every one of us through this week and even forevermore.